What's up, freaks? It's your boy Marty here to intro this episode of Rabbit Hole Recap. Matt and I had a good hour and 10-minute rip, hour and 20-minute rip, whatever the rip was, we ripped it. This episode of Rabbit Hole Recap is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital. You freaks already know all about them, all right? They're helping uh, Bitcoiners by providing financial services for Bitcoiners with security in mind, mainly multi-sig security. They have their Vault program where you can engage in a two or three quorum with Unchained. You can use a ledger, a trezor. Uh, they're working on a call card, to the best of my knowledge, and you can uh, set up a two or three multi-sig quorum in which you hold two of the keys and Unchained holds one. Uh, you can always move your Bitcoin out in and out of the vault by yourself without Unchained, but if you ever need them, you're in a pinch and you need them to sign uh, that, two, that second of two in the two or three signatures, they're there for you. Uh, on top of that, they have their collateralized loan program. You can use Bitcoin as uh, collateral to get liquidity, U.S. dollar liquidity, same-day U.S. dollar liquidity. If you're in a pinch, you don't want to sell your Bitcoin, and you want to get some liquidity, Unchained is there for you. Um, on top of that, they're working on open-source projects, that two or three multi-sig I mentioned earlier in the Vault program. They've open-sourced that via Caravan. Uh, you can you can do that by yourself without involving Unchained. They've let that tool loose on the world and recently they added uh, support for xpub keys so if you want a multi-sig wallet with multiple addresses uh, so you don't have to keep sending to the same address you can now do that via caravan as well uh, on top of that parker lewis has an incredible series gradually then subtly a great uh, orange pill for anybody that's new to bitcoin and looking to learn more uh, they've also working on other open source projects like slip 39 and hermit Go check them out at www.unchained-capital.com. That's www.unchained-capital.com. Have you freaks heard of the Cash App yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you freaks already know all about them? This episode's also brought to you by our good friends at the Cash App. All right, they're helping you stack sats. They're helping you send sats, receive sats, uh, and sats is now the standard. All right, I've been stacking sats on the Cash App for quite some time now. Uh, and it seems like a lot more people are as well. Uh, have you seen their quarterly numbers? You see those numbers a couple of weeks ago? Uh, it seems like Jack is maxing out his stack sat, stack sacking. Yeah, that's right. Sat stacking. God dang it. Always. Jack is maxing out his sat stacking. He announced on Twitter his weekly buy limits are, are, are hitting their threshold. Um, on top of that, they have cash app investing. All right. Don't yell at me. I'm just the messenger. Don't shoot the messenger. Cash App Investing lets you invest in slivers of stonks. If your favorite stonk is out there, it's a little too expensive. If you're buying stonks, I know many of you aren't, but if you are, if you're one of the few freaks out there buying stonks on the Cash App, you don't have to buy a whole stonk. You can stack a sliver of a stonk and buy as little as $1 via Cash App Investing. And because it's all connected to your bank account, there's no three to four day waiting periods or four to five day waiting periods. There's no waiting periods. It's directly connected. You can start investing today. It may even be your bank account. Cash App has offered a is offering account numbers of routing numbers. You can get your check direct deposited to your cash app. You don't even have to get banks involved. You don't even have to hook it up to a bank account. It can become your bank account if you want that. All right. As always, use the code stacking sats when you sign up. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, one word. You're going to get $10. $10 is going to go to our good friends at Al's Lacrosse, who is the complete opposite of Al. Al Lacrosse, that dirtbag. All right. Al's Lacrosse. Woo! Woo! Use the code stacking sats, download the cash app, and enjoy this rip of rabbit hole recap. 
You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Probably should. What is up, freaks? What's up, Matt? We got a sober episode today. We're both drinking uh, carbonated drinks. I got a seltzer. What do you have? Ginger ale. Ginger ale. Ginger ale always makes me think of uh, the flu whenever I got it when I was a kid. Really? Would you drink ginger, ginger ale? ale? I guess that's like an Irish Catholic thing. Ginger ale will, will settle your stomach. Or like ginger tea? Ginger tea, not, yeah, just ginger ale. Just got to get that straight sugar water when you're sick, you know? I know. I've, I, I've been cutting down on my soda consumption lately, but ginger ale is one of my last uh, my last uh, weaknesses. Ginger ale and Mexican Coca-Cola. I'll have a Mexican Coke when I can get my hands on it just because I don't drink soda anymore. And other than that rare chance, and I'm also a root beer guy. So if I do find myself in a weird mood and I, I'm craving a soda, I'll try to find a Barks root beer. Or like a good draft like, root beer. Like if you're in a place where they have like homemade root beer, oh, I always, mm-hmm. I'm yeah. always a sucker for that. That and a lesser known root beer cousin, Birch beer. Um, the Dutch make it. It's like a, it's like a reddish root beer. It's really good. Never had it. It's good. We'll if check you're it ever out. in Pennsylvania Dutch area, it's a good, uh, it's a good soda. Um, that was a fun, fun live stream for uh, the having on on Monday. It was a good day. We should. That was a fun Monday. We should do that more often. We should. We should. Uh, um, to the freaks who missed it, we do have the YouTube link uh, below. We did it with uh, Bitcoin Magazine. Um, disclosure: They had a lot of shitty sponsors there, uh, so just be aware yeah, we, before you get get triggered. Yeah, I was unaware of the sponsors until uh, we went live, and I should. I mean, I didn't. I saw John Carvalho was was he canceled his talk the night before because of the sponsors. I didn't, I didn't realize. Well, I was just. Wanting to have fun during the having. Yeah, I mean, I wore my BTC Pay server hat, and I just shot on BitPay. Fuck BitPay. And salt lending. Yeah, we didn't we didn't shit on salt, which I meant to do. I forgot. It was a short. It's a tor- short time slot. It was like forty five minutes. Like we would have used up half the slot okay. if we were just shitting on all their sponsors. Yeah, I'm okay with Bitflyer. I like Bitflyer. Doing good things in Japan. Well, it depends because like some of the exchange ads were like kind of predatory. So that's where I get in, you know, you get into hot water. Um, You know, you don't want to see predatory ads. They did have this BISC ad about how KYC is the illicit activity. And I really appreciated that. Thought that was great. Um, The BTC page server team had a segment that was fantastic. So you should go check that out. But we should definitely do more live broadcasts. Yeah, yeah, we definitely need to. I want to get like a legit setup so it's like done well. It's really so the quality's high. It's really hard to live stream. So then after we did that, uh, we tried to set up a, like a a proper having live stream for the actual having event. Um, and after making fun of Marty last time, I tried to do it and I failed. I think I had three false starts. Uh, 
And then I got Keita Miner to set it up for us instead uh, because he was joining us for that. Um, and then the the sound quality was fucking abysmal. It was like horrible. And he kept refining it and he got it down to like decent enough. And it was a pretty great reception. It was fantastic. We had like maybe like 200, 250 people um, watching. Uh, we had people cycling through, coming on. We had like 15, 16 different people came on. Uh, Jack Mahlers came on. Bitstein came on. Rodolfo was there. Evan Kaloudis, um, Ben Prentice, uh, BTC Sessions. It was just a really good group. Uh, no shit corners. Uh, yeah, and, and actually, we just kind of spur of the moment during the having, uh, because everyone was in a good mood. We like we did a bunch of uh, giveaways, uh, and it was like the the one time like I was cool with giveaways because like it wasn't for engagement. Like no one on Twitter even knew the giveaways were going on because the people the way we did it it was like trivia, and whoever answered it first in the YouTube comments got it. Uh, and we did like a noddle, cold card, open dime, uh, beef steak. Yeah, uh, beef steak. Josh was in the chat. Uh, was in the he came in, so we did a beef steak ticket. Uh, and no one on Twitter knew about it because no one in the co- no one who was watching wanted anyone else to know because they were. It was like a it was, it was such a spur of the moment thing. It was just like one giveaway after the next. They were like, oh, we got to keep this in here. But it was great. So thank you to anyone who joined on that as well. Appreciate you for yeah. I had, I had immense FOMO. I was only on there for like forty five seconds, or a few minutes. I missed my own party. I was at the Value of Bitcoin conference, the digital conference, leading that uh, Bitcoin in the environment panel that day. Very good, uh, very good content in that conference as well. But I did have immense FOMO for the live stream. We even got Janine on there, which I think is a coup. I mean, obviously without video, but she downloaded. She she connected to a Zoom chat. It's pretty. This uh, is. Janine, Janine. Um, she lectured us when she got in, though, so it was good. All right, as expected. You mentioned predatory ads. There's uh, before we get into Clark Moody's dashboard. I want to make an announcement. <clears throat> Sorry, my throat's all clogged up. Uh, got a DM from a freak earlier today. I'm just going to read it. Not going to mention who he is. Hey, Marty, my roommate is getting put on by one of his college friends to a five coins to $5 million scheme that was created by a guy named Tika Tawari. Uh, we both know this is some BS, <clears throat> BS offering us stupid frog coins, promising crazy gains. For the last few months, I've been dropping subtle Bitcoin knowledge on him, trying to steer him in the right direction without calling him an idiot, but he's actually entertaining the idea presented to him by his college friend. If this was your friend, what one piece of info article speech... Uh, would you share with him in order to get him to get it? Appreciate it. All right. This isn't a shout out, but I feel like this is a question that should be answered on air because it seems like BitConnect and OneCoin scams are coming back to the market, which is never a good sign. And people have lost a lot of money investing in these things. So yeah, this dude, Tika Tuari, I looked into it a little bit. Complete scammer. I never heard of this. It was like a paid newsletter. Had you heard of this yeah, before? Joel. No, but apparently, like the dude from London Real, that podcast, whatever that dude's name is, never heard that. He's had this guy either. He, well, that's like that's like a pretty popular one. It's got like a lot of viewers. I've I've watched a couple of the episodes in the past, but he's had this guy like a bunch of times, and there must be like a kickback program going on between this podcast 
and this five coins, the five million dollars. Well, scam all the good scams have affiliate programs. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there, there's a scam going on. Be aware. Apparently, uh, people are falling for it right now. And if there were one piece of advice, I mean, wasn't there uh, a podcast? Did Lars Shin do the documentary series on one coin? The BBC did one that was really good. It was a whole series yeah. that was just, it was like a feed that w- it was an RSS feed, like a podcast series that was just dedicated to one coin. Um, yeah. Let me look up what it was called. That's actually probably a really good one. Um, and just like on a simple thing, like if it's too good to be true, like it's too good to be true. Like that's like yeah. a, a very simple heuristic. Like if they're guaranteeing you returns and whatnot. Yeah, it, it, exactly. It's if it sounds too good to be true, it most definitely is. The, five coins to five million dollars. The missing is, crypto like, queen is the name of the podcast series. Really, really good. Fucked up shit. Really yeah. fucked up. Yeah. So I would go find that podcast series and listen to that. Or obviously, the person DM me doesn't need to listen to it, but their friends uh, who are getting scammed by this stuff. Uh, it sounds like it's a very similar structure to what one coin was, um, and just show them that this has happened before many times in this space and that's like another thing like on youtube all these like trading and scam advertisements are coming back have you noticed that five coins to five million wow yeah no that's what we talked about this last week that i had a buddy reach out and he's like i've been watching youtube videos for the last week and i was like oh fuck i was like now i gotta it's like you start behind it's almost better they've just never read read or seen anything they're just so scammy yeah, it's, um, it's uh, you hate to see it, but th- these things are going to keep popping up. And that's, I mean, that's what we're trying to do here on TFTC is get in front of these bad actors and provide better information for people looking to learn about Bitcoin. Five coins to $5 million. It was in I market We're going to start hearing more and more about that. Was it? Oh my God. Oh, it's a press release that they just blindly published. Yeah, so this dude, Tika Tawari. So it's not a specific coin, right? It's he's He says he's going to announce five coins that are going to hit five million, right? Like five shit coins to yeah. five million. Yeah. So it's like an, it's like an a adjacent adjacent kind of altcoin scam, right? It I might think, just be a yeah, pump and dump. Get, I think you have to get into his paid group. Uh, paid group pump and, and dump. At, bring people in. Um, fucked. Sounds too good to be true. Probably is. Yep. Back to Bitcoin. Be careful. Things that matter. Be vigilant. Be careful. Price is at, according to Clark Moody's dashboard, price is at nine thousand seven hundred eight dollars right now. Pumped a little bit today. Pumped quite a bit today, actually. Block subsidy down to six point two five. Uh, hash rate is saying on the dashboard that it's one hundred and seventeen exahash, but that's taking into consideration the last. Uh, 2016 blocks. If I go to my node and check get mining info in the CLI, the hash rate currently is around 88 exahash a second, um, which is considerably lower. What time period is that based off of? That's I think that's based off the last block. It can't be because the way hash rates determined is is average block times and the difficulty. Network hash PS. Network hash. 
The problem, and I tweeted this out, the, the problem with trying to figure out hash rate on short-term time scales is, is that it is, it's a derived metric. It's based off of the, the average block times and the current difficulty level. And from there, we derive hash. So it's, it's way more accurate on longer time frames than it is on short time frames, especially when you have something like the halving, which causes a sudden event. Uh, and, and it's worth noting that the halving intentionally happens mid difficulty adjustment cycle. So half of this difficulty adjustment cycle happened pre halving and the second half is going on right now. Yeah. So, I mean, just in the Bitcoin core CLI, um, if you type and get mining info produces network hash per second that's what it says too in the definition so i don't know what time frame i can't find a time frame maybe it's like a one week on. but i'm pretty sure it's more accurate um than in some of these estimates and anyway if you look at mining pools which is a better probably the best metric to get real-time data on hash rate the mining pool uh, hash rate has been across the board has been falling but it's um, worth noting week, so that's self-reported um, I think they said six, someone said 16%. Does that number sound right? But it is self-reported. Keep that in mind. It was 12% the other day. Austin Storm. I mean, I've been talking about this. We've been talking about this at GAM too. Just trying to, um, get accurate numbers. So what does GAM Pools. think? I mean, the hash rate, I mean. Like 20% down I, or think right now, I mean, if it's at 88, it was at, it was at 130, I believe last week so that's above 30 percent um if it's accurate you should you should shoot storms a text and ask him uh what that cli command what the time frame is bet you he knows yeah i'll ask um mempool's been filling up fees versus subsidy has been increasing as well obviously as uh the block subsidy got cut in half fees are going to make up a better percentage, but there's also been more transactions with more fees attached. So currently the f fee percentage of the reward is 21.9%. Um, the average fees versus subsidy over the last 20, 2016 blocks is up to 5.21%. So if you remember uh, in recent weeks, it's been hovering around 3.3%. Right. So that seems to be increasing. Lawmaster from the block yeah. posted that at post having it's at 14%, the average. The average, yeah, you know, yeah. fees, so the, fees portion of the reward. Yeah, predicted next block right now is twenty two percent. What else am I looking for? When's the next difficulty adjustment? Uh, Six hundred thirty six blocks till the next adjustment. And right now, Clark's dashboard is estimating that it'll be a negative zero point six percent downward difficulty adjustment. Um, and what's that? That's like three days, yeah. right? Uh, four days. For 10 minutes, 144 blocks uh, a day. Uh, so that's... He has it on there. Um, May 18th. May 18th. Yeah, four days. Um, so keep a lookout on that. I, th I also saw some charts. Looks like Bitcoin Cash hash rate is going up. Maybe some miners are shifting over there. It might be a little bit more profitable at this given point in time, uh, even though I think that's dumb to do uh some are doing it if they're very hyper profit focused especially if you're still running s9s um 
so yeah, we'll keep an eye out on that. Oh, the other thing that happened in the live stream that you missed is uh, Rodolfo showed uh, the block clock mini uh, sample. Oh, I saw that part. How sick was that? So dope. That's fucking awesome. Wait, he gave yeah. away one of those too. I I want one of those. We talked about this last. Yeah, week. we're gonna we're gonna I get gonna them. Get one of He's those. not giving us any. We have to buy them, but we will. Thanks, Rodolfo. Um, we got to talk about the cold card yep. in a little bit, too. We got two shout-outs, right? Yeah, we got two shout-outs. Um, you're going to like this one. All right, here's the first one. It says, please read each penis. Thank you. Penis, 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 penis. That is all. You should, um, you should have given the freaks a warning on that one. <laughs> no, you, get, you gotta, just got to I hope your kids aren't in it. the car. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. I mean, is penis a dirty word? It's, it's an anatomically it's descriptive, right? Well, anyway, thank you, freak, for the, the, for the humble shout out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, grow up, please. <laughs> <laughs> This one is uh this one's a little bit more poetic. Never accept a bid, always ask. Never ask lower than the current lowest ask. Number go up. I like that one. Stack sets. Never accept a bid, always ask. Never ask lower than the current lowest ask. Number go up. Uh I like that. Cheers, freaks. Thanks for the shout outs. Yeah, cheers to you. And uh that first shout out can't get away with that on radio. Do you think it's um? Do you think it's kids getting allowance and spending in Bitcoin and spending their sats on shoutouts on TFTC? They just want to hear penis over and over again. Yeah, they want to giggle. You want to get their giggles in? It's either probably like a sixteen-year-old boy or uh, like a forty-year-old man. Yeah, or like a forty-five-year-old man. I would imagine. Maybe it was that dirtbag Al. Al, grow the fuck up, please. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so let's, we'll jump right into the Bitcoin stuff now. Uh, Delphi Digital having report, really good one. Our boy Matt here had a three-page um, three uh, guest appearance in this report. Delphi's put out reports on the state of Bitcoin. I think the last one they did was t- towards the beginning of last year, and this was a pretty big one. Um, was it 50 pages, 38 or 50? I'm getting like the two. I think it was longer than that. I think it was like 60 pages because... Yeah. My my piece is on privacy and why people should care about privacy, why Bitcoiners should care about privacy. Uh, and mine was pages 48, 49, and 50, and they weren't the last pages. So I want to say it's like 59 or something like that. Great report overall. Yeah. Uh, really well worth the read. It is free. Uh, most of their reports are not free, so it's nice that they released this one free. Um, also, it was really cool... Um, is that this guy translated it to Spanish, uh, which is awesome, and oh. posted it on his website, estudiobitcoin.com, which is... The whole report? or your, No, just your the section. privacy part, because he's like, privacy is super important. So that's fantastic. It was my first return to long form uh, in the Bitcoin world in like four years. Uh, so it was, a, it was a big one for me. But uh, as you know, it's a, it's a it's a topic I I feel you know very deeply about. So it was worth it. 
Oh, you do? How did uh, how did it feel to get back in the writing game? Uh, I was like, you know, it's kind of a pain in the ass, to be honest. Like, podcasts are nice because we can just shoot the shit and just record and upload it. Especially us, we don't edit at all. Uh, but when you do long form, you got to like, I went over like 10, 15 different times and like refined it and, and, you know, made it better and tried to make it more concise and try and do all these different things. Cause you get less, people give you less benefit of the doubt when it's in writing, you know, you have to, you have to really nail it down. It's definitely more tedious, more time consuming, I think. Yeah. You gotta be more concise. That was, I mean, that was your nice cop out with the bent is that like you get the same benefit of the doubt that we get on the podcast because it's daily, just like off the cuff, uh, which I think is fantastic. It's not a cop out. No, it's not, it's not a, co- a cop I didn't, out. I'm not copping out. Cop out is the wrong word. It was like, it was, I'm kidding. I'm fucking with you. But uh, it's, it's, no, I know. Exactly if I, if I was going to, if I was going to write often, that would be the kind of situation I'd want to get myself into, right? Where the readers understand that there are going to be typos and, and shit's going to be off the cuff. Which is it's really nice that you've got that understanding with your with your readers. Yeah. Really really drove that home early on by referring to myself as an idiot. Still am an idiot. Um still trying to figure this whole thing out. Started a lot of drama with yesterday's newsletter, was not expecting it at all. I mean uh segue into the next topic, which is uh late night uh the video game that is like uh fight what the hell is the game called? I'm really showing my colors here. Um, what game am I thinking of? What Light Night? Yeah, what's what's the game in real in Fortnite? The Steam game. Fortnite. Sorry, there I zoned go. out a little bit there, but yeah, it's 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 the the idea is a battle royale type game, which Fortnite made famous. There's also PUBG. Uh, there's Warzone by Call of Duty. It's like the it's it's the largest growing genre of gaming. Uh, this battle royale, hundred people drop onto an island, and last man standing uh, wins. I played PUBG a little bit when I went took my last visit to Chicago. Whenever that was, my my boys were into PUBG, and I played that for like a weekend. That was a good one. Um, but anyway, this is about late night. They announced at consensus. Uh, the digital conference that they had earlier this week. Shitty ass uh, conference. <laughs> well, they announced that in partner with Blockstream, they've created non fungible tokens for this game on the Liquid sidechain. Um, so basically, a non fungible token is a unique digital asset that uh, players will be able to use inside late night and they'll actually be able to export those assets outside of late night and into other games as well if they so please still interested to see how that works out but um obviously i don't i'm not an expert on the gaming aspect of all this stuff um and i wrote about it yesterday in the bent that it's funny seeing these nfts come to liquid which is a side chain and udi worthmeyer hopped in my benches and and uh really started debating the merits of, of liquid as a side chain and as Bitcoin really anchored to it. Um, I'm still a bit confused on the whole thing. I just wanted to make the point in the newsletter that, uh, I mean, in 2017, I've read about crypto kitties in like December of 2017 when they blew up and said like, you don't need a, a blockchain to create these non fungible tokens. 
Like you're going to be able to do them at different layers. And I thought Light Night and Blockstream announcing uh, their NFTs on the Liquid sidechain proved my point. So I tried to circle back and just be like, hey, I said this a few years ago and it looks like it's coming true. Um, regardless, like I think non-fungible tokens are stupid. Like I would never you spend even money said that in on the a digital bank. asset. You like you yeah. said. I think NFTs are stupid. So NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. You said they were stupid, and and people still were freaking on you. It was it was uh, it was interesting. To yeah, watch. the point I was the point I was trying to make is that we're gonna get we could pot- potentially get all these use cases that all coiners want in layers on top of Bitcoin. On top of Bitcoin, but Bitcoin. you said on Bitcoin, which was triggering to some. In the tweet, in the tweet, 46102, yeah, you were probably, he was, he, was, he was probably just super upset about that one because he's been hey. making a point of making it very clear. And I, I think it's important that people understand that, you know, LBTC, liquid Bitcoin, is not real Bitcoin. It's custodial Bitcoin that's held by a multi-sig federation um, who, you know, while being somewhat trust minimized, there's still a lot of trust there. And I still think the best way to explain liquid to someone um, in a distilled way is it's Ripple without the shitcoin. Uh, and in that regard, we've, we've spoke about this before on the podcast. Um, as you reduce the need for censorship resistance, you're able to keep fees lower because you're fine with somewhat being somewhat centralized. The more centralized you are, the cheaper you can make fees. So this whole idea where with CryptoKitties, when they had these NFTs, um, they were clogging up the Ethereum main chain. Um, but those things are centralized NFTs. They're administered by the CryptoKitties Corporation or whatever. Um, so there's no need for that censorship resistance. You're overpaying for that use case. Um, Udi takes it a step further. He says, use Google Sheets for it. Uh, use like an internal database. But Liquid is is on the way there, right? It's like a step ahead of, of a Google Sheets. It's like slightly more um, and more transparent. Um, as far as NFTs go, you know, I'm not like, like I wouldn't say I'm bullish NFTs, uh, but it's the, the idea, you know, Fortnite revolutionized, ugh, revolutionized such a, not necessarily in a good way, they revolutionized the, the mainstream game model. And that, that model is now with Fortnite is it's a free game. The game is completely free and you buy skins and other aesthetic items, uh, like clothes and gun skins, like what, what the guns look like and stuff you buy them and that's how they make their revenue. And people are spending hundreds of millions of dollars on this shit. Uh, they do not help you win the game. It's purely for looks. So, yeah. but the issue is high time preference as it gets. Yeah. But those items obviously have no scarcity. Like Fortnite can release a skin and they could say it's limited edition. And they've done this. They say it's like limited. Um, they sell it for like $20. And then like six weeks later, they release it again on the marketplace and it's like $2. Right. And there's no trading that's allowed to happen and all this stuff. So, you know, do I do I do I think like there should be global marketplaces, you know, where there's game skins are being traded between games and stuff? Do I think that's going to be a possibility? Uh, you know, probably not in the near term, but 
But I, I think it, it it seems like a, a net positive regardless, like from a gamer perspective. Like you're going to buy the thing anyway. It's kind of nice to have like a certificate of authenticity that comes with it and some like semi-provable scarcity, even if it's not like enforceable, even if the game developer can... At least you see them inflate it if they inflate it. Yeah. And this is just my perspective because I'm not a gamer. Like I'm, I would not spend my money on that, but I will acknowledge that it seems like a market is there, maybe even. But like, then you get like, if you make them truly scarce in this model, do you have people like hoarding these yeah. skins? Like you hoard domains and then. I, I don't hoard domains. I use domains. Holding is using. Okay, Marty? Um, this is true. I, uh, yeah, you know, there, there probably will be, but I, I still think it's an, I still think it's an interesting concept and I'm just glad there's no shitcoin involved. So, yeah. you know, and I hope this conversation doesn't take away from late night. I think they're building an incredible product. The, the demo that they released alongside the announcement of these NFTs was dope. Like, it seems like they've really refined their product and it looks like it's gonna be a sick game. Supposedly they're, tr- yeah, I'm super excited for late night. Supposedly they're, you know, they have this RGB protocol that's being worked on right now to bring tokens to lightning. So I, yeah, that's what Giacomo is working on. right? Yeah. So I think light Knight's long-term strategy is to move them from liquid over to lightning. Um, and they're just using liquid as like a test bed, but yeah, I, it's, yeah. it's one of those things that's like an interesting thing, thing to look at. Uh, I, I don't think like uh, a limited edition gun skin for light night is going to outperform Bitcoin price wise. I think it's a worse investment. I, I don't think I should have to say that, but I, I, I am. And, and yeah. it is, you know, just, it is what just it is. to be clear. I think this is like a movement. There could be some interesting things. Like imagine like a light night competitor comes out and they latch on to the network effect of light night. Right. So like, for instance, right now, Fortnite, if you've spent $200, $300 on Fortnite skins, you're way less likely to go to a Fortnite competitor because you've already had that sunk cost. You're locked in, right? You have this like locked in closed ecosystem. If, if, a, if another game developer was allowed to come in and, and basically use those items in their game and transfer them over, uh, then it creates a more open competitive market. And like, that's what we're supposed to be about. Like I've, never been against shit coins from the point of view that they shouldn't exist. I think everyone should have the ability to lose their money on shit coins, but I, I I'm against shit coins because I think they're a way worse investment. And I think the proprietors of the shit coins don't explain the trade-offs properly. They sell you snake oil and that's where I have my issue. And it, I think it falls kind of similarly here with how I feel about NFTs. Well, like if these NFTs are interchangeable between games, that's sort of, deprecate the diversity of gaming design like do you have to design your other game in a very similar fashion to the game in which that mnft originated no because it's a token on whatever chain it's on so just the ownership of that could then be it could look different in the two games like the portrayal of what that token means could look different in the two games but the actual ownership of the token is what's transferred over right yeah, it seems. Do lame. you know what I mean? Like it could be like yeah, Fortnite yeah, no, is animated, right? And but that animated shotgun you own in a in a competitor game that is like a lifelike looking game, right? That looks like real life. It could just look like a real life shotgun or whatever. You can change the graphics. The graphics aren't hard coded. 
Yeah, so the graphics, yeah, the graphics just your public private key pair gets you access to the different graphics on different games. All right. All right. And then you have like you know, we we hear about these like it exists already today. Like we hear about we we talked about that article, right? Uh it was like Argentina or Venezuela kids were were mining on RuneScape and they were getting gold on RuneScape and then they were selling their accounts for Bitcoin uh to 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 earn money that way. There was like a there was like a lower lowest common denominator for this type of rote work to to get to get it and it was being paid out in Bitcoin. You know, they shouldn't have to go through all these end arounds to do that. Right? Like if they want if if we we are moving to a more digital world and in that digital world, um you know, there it should be easier to trade in those in those worlds, even if it's not completely, you know, completely trust minimized if there's a little bit less trust and it's a little bit more seamless and it's a little bit easier to use like that seems like an improvement to me i agree and let's not lose sight of the fact that late night's going to allow you to to earn sets um by killing people or being better at the game not by killing people this is a video game you're not gonna be killing the people dream maybe. is i want a 12 year old camper from thailand to be able to you know pay for Pay for help pay for his family's food by you know killing me in in an online video game and my slow reflexes. Thank you for your sacrifice. Yeah, gaming gaming prowess depreciates uh, significantly after the age of twenty four. Apparently, the peak right? is like fourteen or thirteen. We're like way past it. Yeah, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start trading my son. I don't know doing. Yeah, I've, I always bring up whether or not I should get a get a box whether it be a ps4 or an xbox but no, i don't think it's ever going to happen anytime soon until my until my son hits a certain age speaking Wait, of the if he really network, wants to be a pro he needs a he needs a desktop computer he can't uh it's true it's true get him a gpu set up uh, move him to the woods cool. and teach the... him how to teach him how to fend for guns. himself be a bitcoin mountain man I only went through the slides for this, but it seems pretty cool. The quantitative analysis of Lightning Network privacy is a presentation. Um, it was put on, um, I forget exactly where. Well, it was a paper uh, first. We have a paper, and then there's a presentation with a video and slides. Yeah, so Sergey, Sergey Tikhomarov uh, from the University, University of Luxembourg uh, in collaboration with Pedro. Moreno, Sanchez, and Mateo Maffei of TUEN. Um, they basically laid out three potential um, privacy attacks or ways to de-anonymize users on the Lightning Network and went through uh, the different attacks and how um, how they would be accomplished, how they would be achieved. And uh, so three privacy-related attacks include value privacy relationship, anonymity, and wormhole attack. Um, so I only went through the slides. I didn't have time to listen to the whole presentation, uh, and read the whole paper. What should we take out of this mainly? Um, in your opinion, I, I didn't go through it well enough, so we will talk about it again in the future, but people should check it out. This, it does seem like one of the better, um, uh, lightning skeptic pieces. Uh, so it's, I think it's important for, for people that are interested in lightning to, to either give it a watch or give it a read. Um, but 
as all the Bitcoiners know, like this week has been pretty fucking crazy. So I have not actually been able to dive into it fully. So I don't want to make any, yeah, I don't so want to jump to any conclusions, but the two main things are privacy and denial of service vectors. So how to actively surveil the network um, and how to bring the network to its knees or like try and break it up. Like if you could, if you could make it so that it becomes two distinct networks and then also you could, it's easier to surveil if, if you break it up as well. Yeah. And then what I took away from the slides mainly is the uh, main lightning network may not be as well suited for micro payments as, um, as originally thought of by the, the authors of the lightning network paper. Um, especially when you have transactions that are lower than the 546 sat dust limit, um, they're claiming that these are not really secured by the HTLC at all. Payments between 546 sats and 25 around 2,500 sats are less efficient than in theory. Um, and they're saying that the effect is stable after mid-2019. Again, I haven't listened to the whole talk, so maybe I'm missing some context on these bullet points, but that that seemed like something... Uh, Something that stuck stood out to me at least. We'll discuss it better next next week. Yeah. Um, wrong chat. We uh, this was interesting too. Our boys at Crypto Voices, Maddie Bazinkus and Fernando, um, jump into the World Monetary Base at the end of every quarter, uh, and they release their Q1 2020 Global Monetary base report earlier this week and central central banks and governments are printing a lot of money uh right now the currency the total monetary world global monetary base is sitting at 20.15 trillion dollars um this is pretty massive this is as of march 2020 which is you know april was a, a blockbuster month so yeah it's even worse so april now. We had, yeah the stimulus in april um was historic at the pace at which the the Fed's balance sheet increased specifically. I'm looking for one slide here. I believe they said the the total monetary base increased by 18 percent uh, quarter on quarter. And if you factor in some fuckery that goes on with the Chinese yuan, it might even be as high as 30 percent. It's going to be interesting uh, to so see that, what the changes are in the quarter two report. You know. Yeah, yeah. After we'll see after June thirtieth, hopefully mid June, we'll have that report. When is it? May now. Yeah, so maybe it took them a month. So maybe we'll get that mid July. Um, once they get all that data, it probably have to depend on the quickness with which these central banks and governments get that data out. So shout out to Maddie and Fernando for for putting this together, and um, it's. Very important work right now, I think. Somebody's got to be tracking this, and it's a very interesting concept to understand uh, the global monetary base because that is, at the end of the day, what Bitcoin is competing with. Bitcoin wants to be uh, that reserve currency of the world where everything is um, is cleared through Bitcoin at the end of the day. It's final settlement. That's, that's what I was looking for, Bitcoin as a final settlement currency right now. All so final settlement currencies in totality are $20.15 trillion. And growing pretty quickly uh the japanese yen surprisingly has the biggest share of the uh final currency or reserve currency status in the world at like 4.2 trillion dollars i believe 
Wait, what do you mean by that? Um, Let me make sure I got that right. Because the U.S. dollar is clearly the reserve currency of the world. Yeah, but it's surprising. Like, there's, like, the dollar value of the yen, I believe, is more than all U.S. dollars in sanctions. Sounds wrong oh. to me. Let me find it. No, that's right. Yeah, the United States is fourth, so it's gold. Again, this is the reserve status, base money, global supply. Current snapshot, gold's in first at $7.9 trillion. Um, gold's included in this. Japan's in second at $4.7 trillion. China at 4.5, and the United States at 3.9 trillion. Um, and again, you're, you'll, you'll have to dive into the thread. Um, and that's in U.S. dollars, right? Yep. Matt, and Matt drops a podcast on this where he walks through it every time he does this report. Um, so go check them out at crypto underscore voices. If you guys haven't uh, listened to their podcast yet and you're interested in economics and how it pertains to Bitcoin, it's phenomenal podcast. And Matt, Matthew, who's been on this podcast before has the voice of a God. Yeah. Um, so it's very soothing. I know you freaks are like me and you're turned off by the name crypto voices. Um, we told them to change it to Bitcoin voices, but regardless, it's a, it's it's a very good podcast, so don't let that don't let it stop you. And it's a very good report. Yeah. All the reports they put out are very good, so you should definitely go check it out. Uh, talking about uh, Bitcoin pivots from a crypto name, uh, Guy Swan of Crypto Economy changed his name to Bitcoin Audible, which is probably one of the best pivots uh, in terms of branding I've seen in this space in a long time. So kudos to him. He even snagged the domain BitcoinAudible.com. Fantastic. I mean, literally. It, that it explains exactly what he does, which is he reads all the all the best uh, Bitcoin pieces, highly curated by him, and he reads them out to you out loud, uh, so you can save your eyes. And uh, anyway, just shout out to shout out to Guy and and go check it, that out <coughs> as well. Yeah. All right. And to clear up the very clean pivot by Guy. I'm sorry, I'm I'm reading this this thread to to clear up the the data from the last topic uh go check out guys podcast and also to clarify so the top 30 base money this is i knew this was the case uh the samples that matt and fernando take they cover uh the share of global gdp um at, of the base money so the second and bigger um the ordering of this graph is by gdp per currency block two major shifts happened in 2019 First is that India's GDP is now larger than the UK's, therefore both uh, the Indian ruby and the Great British Pound uh, base monies are now listed. Um, so interesting. You got to dive into this thread to really understand everything they're getting into. Uh, speaking of money across the world, African P2P exchange volume on uh, local Bitcoins of Paxful or in exchanges like them hit all-time highs. Matt Alborg, our boy, uh, who's been covering this very intently on usefultulips.org, uh, posted a chart and based in U.S. dollars, uh, converted to U.S. dollars. It seems like last week they had $12 million in volume. A couple things to take 
a couple things to take into consideration here. Uh, it may say $12 million on in the combination of local Bitcoins and Paxful, but you also have to factor in uh, trades that go on beyond these exchanges. Once traders meet counterparties that they're comfortable with, they may not go through the exchange and uh, meet uh, via WhatsApp or similar apps like that and conduct trades that because way you don't want to so give, take into consideration you don't want to give the exchange a cut so you do like the first trade or two and then you you develop a relationship and then they just become you know a trading partner that you just do outside of it um and yeah. it's worth noting that 12 million is for a full week yeah full week and if you haven't um listened to the podcast i recorded with matt a few weeks ago go check that out but he also said in that podcast that africa is riddled with these one coin like scams too. So if you're listening in Africa and you're um, and you're a Bitcoiner, try to to help your fellow Africans stay away from these one coin like uh, scams. Matt was saying a lot of people are buying Bitcoin to get in to those scams. Um, so something to take into consideration with that volume it may not be to get into Bitcoin. It may be part of it at least. Maybe to get in the scams. I mean, you just said the word scam, so it reminded me. Um, per the scam we talked about earlier, which appears to be the five coins to five million, which appears to be a paid group. Uh, another thing you could tell your buddy is that any of these paid group guys that are like, I'm super successful, I'm you know, I'm super rich, like I have, everything goes right for me. Like if that's true, then they wouldn't be running a fucking paid group. Like you're the mark. That's where they make their money. Yeah. Yeah. Why would they share? how they make their money with you like that is it's called a market edge for a reason i think trading groups don't make any sense because if you're a good trader you don't tell anybody how you make money because then you uh destroy that information asymmetry that you have and that's how you make money trading in the markets is information asymmetry if you're sharing that information with a bunch of people it goes out the door it's not as asymmetric anymore more people have that information it spreads and prices reflect that Ooh, it's nice to see Nadal getting into the YouTube tutorial Dude, game. This video is fucking fantastic. So Keto Miner put together a Nadal build video where he builds the Nadal dojo in front of you, and then he does the basic setup afterwards. Um, there, yeah, it's pretty dope. There's a reason I call this thing the Bugatti of notes. Like, it's a fucking, it's a beast. Uh, he puts so much love into it. I appreciate him so much. Uh Appreciate Askwu too. The the whole Noddle team, they're fantastic, and I just really love my Node. Um, but but just check this out because it's it's like some Node porn, and it's it's pretty fantastic. Yeah, it's pretty uh pretty calming too. If you're if you're somebody, it's uh, very satisfying. Do you think he got a a manicure too? Yeah. Did you give him any manicure tips? He's going professional. This is why he managed our stream because he was. He, he had set up all the hardware for this already. He's planning on doing a lot more videos. Yeah. I mean, and then he, he connects it to, to Dojo and Whirlpool at the end. Um, sets up a samurai wallet. Walks you through everything. Very sleek. Shout out to, uh, to Keto Miner. Nine minute video too. Not too long. And again, very satisfying. Lolly in the news this week. Wait, Ashton Kutcher. Oh. What do you want to say? We should talk about the cold card. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, 
Because, I thought that was further down the list. Well, you mentioned it late, mentioned it earlier, and I put it on the top of the list uh, because usually oh, we, we talk about the security stuff at the top of the show. Got sidetracked a little bit about the scams. Um, so the security re- researcher calling himself the charlatan uh, proposed did a disclosure about a supply chain attack against Cold Card, which involved flashing malicious firmware intercepting the device flashing malicious firmware on it zeroing out the pin so it looks like it hasn't been initialized yet and deleting the seed and then you put it back in the bag because you need the bag number to look the same as well um and then i i don't think there's a proof of concept for it but the idea is the malicious firmware when you open it up out of the bag will show the two things uh, that you would expect to see if it wasn't intercepted, which is the terms and conditions and the bag number, and then it'll, you know, and then you set it up. Then you enter a pin and you generate a seed and stuff like that. And I guess the the idea is is that you'd compromise some element of the seed generation, so then you could then sweep the funds at a later date. So Cold Card released uh, a response to this. Um, f- the first thing is is this idea that you can install your own firmware is completely by design. Like you have a choice when you make these hardware wallets, if you want to lock down your firmware, which is what Ledger does and what Shift Crypto does, um, where it needs to be signed by corporate held keys. So if you don't have it with a corporate held keys, then you, you can install the, the firmware. Or you have like the Trezor cold card model where you can install whatever firmware you want. Um, so cold card went with that route so that outside developers could basically use cold card hardware, but run their own firmware on it. Um, and first of all, I just want to say as a cold card user, as a hardware wallet user, as a Bitcoiner, uh, as a person, I love that these researchers are attacking these things. They make them stronger. Um, for actual users, it appears the, the easiest way to mitigate this type of attack is to well first of all you know you should already be like inspecting the bag that it comes in uh to see if it was tampered with you want to make sure you know it, there's no like hot the the way to try and remove the tamper evidence seal is with like a hot heat gun or like a blow dryer so you want to see if there's any like melty bits or anything like that around that area um you want to look at the actual cold card because it's it's fused together so to open up the cold card it would need to be broken uh, and then, and, and this is what cold card is going to be more clear about going forward is that the best practice is a user flashes new firm, uh, the, the, the most recent firmware from cold cards website. Um, you want to flash that on the cold card when you receive it, because the memory on the cold card can only hold one firmware. So if there is malicious firmware on uh, it, flashing new firmware, uh, mitig- should mitigate that. Wipe it. And then, and then you should be good to go. And then last but not least, like these supply chain attacks as a vector, we've talked about this before. It's one of the main issues with having hardware wallet resellers, like buying hardware wallets on eBay or Amazon or uh, getting a used hardware wallet from a friend. Um, it, that should all be discouraged. Like you should buy your hardware wallets directly from the vendor. Um, and then the second thing is, uh, 
this is what the goal of easy self-hosted multisig is supposed to mitigate, right? Because if you can have multiple hardware wallets from different vendors and and you can run them in the same multisig setup uh, and you got them from different sources, then all of a sudden to pull off a supply chain attack, you need to compromise so many different devices coming in through so many different methods that it's it becomes very expensive and, and very infeasible. And so with this attack particularly, even if you do get the firmware on, you set the pin back to zero and a user does wind up making a new seed. Like what if they were to add the entropy with the dice rolls? Like what would that, would that fuck up that seed generation of the, of the bad uh, code? It depends how aware the user is because in normal cold card firmware, every time, um, you put in new entropy, the cold card shows you that new entropy being added. Uh, you know, if you're not, if, if you're not vigilant about that, uh, I'm, maybe you could have malicious firmware that disregards the dice rolls, uh, or something to that effect, but it's, it's still best practice to use dice rolls no matter what, because it does protect it does protect you from some some attacks, and it does protect you from it, it does reduce trust in actual uh, coin kite and cold card uh, because you're adding user added entropy that's not part of the device. User added when I say entropy, I mean randomness, added randomness. The key to proper seed generation, to secure seed generation, secure private key generation, is sufficient randomness. Uh, the way you compromise it is insufficient randomness, whether that's accidental or on purpose. Uh, that's that's basically the main idea behind any kind of attack in this in this type of situation where they, they want you to use an insecure random number generator to uh, generate an insecure seed that they can then later s sweep from a different device. Um, but anyway, it, it, it really does appear like, first of all, that this is a disclosure of a feature of like a known feature of the cold card. Uh, like. Like it's a documented feature that you can install different firmware on it, uh, so it it shouldn't be too much of a surprise to anyone. But it, it's it's really good to see, um, basically, cold card literature improving in terms of, of 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 how users should act with it. I think most users are probably updating the firmware anyway when they first receive it, but now it should be more of a mandatory thing where people should should know that they should update the firmware when they get it. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, it's always even if you already have it up and running, if you're gonna especially like with treasure and cold card, make sure you update your firmware if it's not up to the latest um version. Just to make sure. Like, because cold card had that what that change address um potential attack uh a few firmware version or many firmware versions ago. Um that's why we do the show. We try to make you freaks uh, abreast of these updates because it is hard to keep up on all of them. Um, so, but you can't always depend on us. Don't don't trust us. Don't depend on us. Develop tendencies and practices to make sure that you're uh, up to date on the latest firmware and, and software versions of the hardware wallets and the software that you're using when you use Bitcoin. Um, it's it's imperative. The other thing is. Um supposedly 
Ledger has had their hands on the MK3, the cold card MK3, for months now, and they haven't been able to extract the seed. Um, so it should be interesting to see if, if they're ever able to do that. The other thing is Rodolfo also teased that they might have new hardware coming that may further, you know, insulate this type of issue. I'll be on the lookout. We'll be here to report it. Um, back to what I was going to get to earlier before we covered cold card. Lolly raised $3 million from Ashton Kutcher and investors, including Ashton Kutcher and Michelle Fan. Um, seems like the, the influencers do you remember and investors and entrepreneurs do you remember are, when, are getting into the Bitcoin game. Do you remember when Ashton Kutcher was shilling ripple on Ellen, the Ellen show? Yeah. Isn't he an investor in BitPay too? Yeah. Is that coin or Coinbase? I think BitPay. Maybe both. He's been around this yeah. area for a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, Michelle Fon seems like a big coup for Lolly. It seems like a, a really good fit with their, their business. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I really do think uh, that Lolly is going to be an introduction to Bitcoin for a, a, a millions of users. Millions of people that have, you know, they have no reason to want self-sovereignty or any kind of the other narratives that really drive Bitcoin's value. Uh, but they just want to save money on their consumer habits, which, you know, we know um, Americans and, and people around the world, you know, have very high time preference, high spending lifestyles. Um, and, and these sats back programs like Lolly and Fold, like they really... I feel like they really weaponized that consumerist culture to, to pump the price of Bitcoin. And I think that helps all, all Bitcoiners because I think it makes the network more secure and more liquid. Well, it sort of weaponizes and also maybe in the long term reduces that consumerist culture because the consumer stacking sats, especially during a bull run, are noticing how much their sats are appreciating. Like, wow, should I just be buying Bitcoin instead of buying this new pair of shoes? It almost tricks them into saving money instead of spending it as they've been conditioned. Yeah. We, uh, Pretty cool. Anyway, good coup for them. And uh, I think it, it also continues, it continues the trend where like, you know, Lolly isn't like a traditional Bitcoin company, right? But it, but it is wholeheartedly a Bitcoin only company. So it's, it's this trend of, of Bitcoin companies that are, you know, they're more appealing to your typical shitcoin company investors. And I think that's probably a net benefit for Bitcoin as well, to just suck up as much I money agree. of the pie as possible. Shout out to Alex, Matt, and team at Lolly. Congrats on the raise. And keep uh, keep getting the normies and the consumers stacking sets. Create that, uh, that price floor. Help raise that price floor a little bit. Constant buy pressure weaponized consumerism as, as matt likes to say when uh, does the, this was hilarious the amount of lolly rewards outnumber the block subsidy that's when shit gets crazy maybe soon what do you mean like next having if lolly's still around the the amount of sats that are stacked on lolly every day might be more than the actual block subsidy paid out to miners I wouldn't be surprised if that's already happening. I don't know. That would be a lot of business they're doing. Seven and a half Bitcoin a day? In rewards. So. Yeah, yeah. That would be like if their average rewards like 5%. That 
that would be like 20 times that they would have to be doing like 140 150 bitcoin in volume yeah. we'll see maybe maybe we'll get there maybe i'm too optimistic on how much business they're doing right now um you got a nice chuckle out this you called some bullshit out today coindesk Drop the top fifty list, the the most important projects in can we read in crypto it? right now. Quote unquote crypto. Yeah, you can read it. We, uh, what came in first? We'll read down the list just how ridiculous this is. And by the way, yeah, let me pull it up. My comment was, you know, like people say, like all this shit about things being priced in, like is the stupidity that led to a ranking list like this. And just to be clear, they've since added a disclaimer on the top that says this is a list that's not supposed to be implying it hierarchy or order even though they obviously have it in number form and uh, it's uh, it's obvious damage control because they got shit for it um i mean it's clearly a ranked list it's fucking bullshit that they're they're trying to backpedal here but number one is Coming binance up. number two is ethereum three is fidelity four is libra five is square crypto six is fucking cosmos seven is coinbase with the subtitle Crypto's Friendly Custodian. Eight is Consensus. Get- Nine is IBM. Ten is Chain Analysis. Eleven is Walmart. Twelve is Gemini. Thirteen is Brave. Fourteen, Lightning Labs. Fifteen, Uniswap. Sixteen, JP Morgan. Seventeen, R3. <laughs> R3. They're fucking out of business. <laughs> they don't even exist anymore. Eighteen, BitGo. Nineteen, Bitmain, which is like a fraction of its former self. 20 Chainlink, fucking shitcoin. 21 Protocol Labs. 22 Zcash. 23 Microsoft. 24 Kraken. 25 MakerDAO. 26 People Bank of China. They fucking put People's Bank of China there at number 26. If you haven't heard Bitcoin yet, it's because it's number 38. 27 is Prime Trust. 28 is Huobi. 29 is Casa. 30 is Securitize. 31 is BlockFi. 32 is Bisu. Never heard of it. Enterprise marriage of Ethereum and Hyperledger. Ugh. 33 is Avanti. 34 is Lolly. 35 is Skew. 36 is MetaMask. 37, one before Bitcoin, they put Grayscale Investments, which is the subsidiary of their parent company, Digital Currency Group. Fuck you, Coindesk. 38 is Bitcoin. 39 is Tether. 40 is Cardano. 41 is Pooled Together. 42 is fucking Spank Chain. 43 is Tencent, 44 is Silvergate, 45 is Stellar. What the fuck? They didn't even get to 50. Yeah, I don't know what's up with that. Maybe they're going to lose more. It is absurd, and they definitely backtracked. Like, who the fuck is working at Coindesk who put this together? Like, what are you thinking? Binance at number one. Ethereum still leading the pack. That's the thing. They have, like, Bitcoin is king. Ethereum still leading the pack. Libra at number four. Libra hasn't even launched yet, if it ever will. Cosmos. This stupidity is not priced in yet. You know, we saw a take by an Ethereum guy the other day that he said, uh, you know, Bitcoin is going to exist as like an ERC-20 token on Ethereum. Uh, Like, it shows a fundamental misunderstanding of, of how value, you know, why these, why these things have value, why Bitcoin derive where it derives its value from. And it just, it completely shows how misplaced their priorities and attention are at, at Coindesk. And I, I, I think you can't just lay this on Coindesk. There's a whole slew of investors um, with pretty deep pockets 
that that believe that this CoinDesk top 50 list is a is a very well curated list. Um, and you know, those are the people that we're we're competing against in in the game of accumulating Bitcoin. Um, and I, I think that's I think that's bullish for us, and I think that's bullish for Bitcoin in that regard. Yeah, everyone's a scammer. They have a consensus at number eight, and they've been laying off like a majority of their workforce over the course of the last eighteen months. Uh, yeah, how is this a good year for consensus? Like, what the fuck? It's like the top fifty do you biggest, have the... most influential projects in the in the, for the year, and they fucking have consensus. It's been like the bloodiest year for them. And then they they had the gall to have fucking Larry Summers on a panel poo-pooing privacy, saying that privacy is inherently bad and people's transaction people shouldn't be able to transact privately because bad things can happen. This is the same Larry Summers that's been pictured with pedophile Jeffrey Epstein after he was released from prison for pedophilia uh, in 2008. Uh, many times, many pictures of him sitting next to Larry Summers scheming up something i don't know what they were talking about this dude was friends with a pedophile coindesk has him on to spew bullshit about how we shouldn't have privacy at the transactional level fuck you larry summers you're fuck you and fuck you coindesk there i said it what are you looking at over there I know. I was just thinking about uh, Lolly Rewards outtaking the block subsidy. Uh, <laughs> we're like the subsidy is six six point two five Bitcoin, right? Yeah. And there's a, there's one hundred and forty four blocks a day, on average, right? Oh, so you're? I thought you meant a one block. Yeah, that's why we were on the wrong page. So yeah. So like that's a lot of Bitcoin. How much Bitcoin per day is that's that? Us probably close to a thousand okay so you have to multiply that by 20 and then probably if, more if, than if they average five percent sats back reward you have to multiply that by 20 so it's way unattainable right now but just come next having who knows i tell you met one block we shall see we shall see um yeah this is fucked now on the more macro themes uh u.s senate votes to allow FBI warrantless access to web browsing history and it passed by one vote I believe and there were a number of people who sat out of the vote including Bernie Sanders uh, but this is basically this week I believe today maybe today or tomorrow they're voting to uh, reinstate the Patriot Act or extend the Patriot Act which was supposed to be temporary 2001 supposed to be temporary probably passed in 2002 or 2003 I forget exactly when uh, but it was only temporary. They're only going to track the metadata of terrorists outside of the U.S. for a short period of time, and then they're going to roll back the Patriot Act. And here we sit almost two decades later, and it's still being extended into the future. And lawmakers are adding more uh, more and more privacy-invasive clauses that uh, really infringe on your civil liberties, and the latest of which is the warrantless access to web browsing history. So now... Um, William Barr and crew are going to be able to, without a warrant, just get access to uh, the browsing history of Americans. That's the other thing. This stuff was supposed to be targeted at terrorists and enemies of our country. And throughout the years, it has uh, slowly but surely morphed into a an act. The Patriot Act has morphed into 
a way to spy on American citizens and not terrorists that endanger America. So just keep that in mind. This is, I mean, I saw, was it 6102, I believe, was posting like he expected this to happen. One of the, um, was it him? Mm. Might have been Max Tannehill. No, I think it was someone else. Uh, yeah, it was Max. I mean, look, I operate under the same assumption. You should assume your web browsing history is being tracked anyway both at the ISP level and the browser level and the device level. Um, you, you should expect that under targeted attack, all of your devices are compromised by one of these major governments and, and their surveillance organizations. Um, but the key here is, well, first off, our political class has failed us globally. They're bought and paid for. They don't represent our best interests. Second of all, our only real effective measure of change is is to use tools that make it way more expensive and difficult for them to actually do mass surveillance, right? So you have a difference. There's a difference here. There's targeted surveillance, and then there's mass surveillance. Mass surveillance is easy to accumulate information. You index it, and you make it so you could search it at will in the future. Um, you know, so the two key tools here um, are VPNs and Tor, Right, you can install Tor browser. Tor browser is very easy to use. You can install it on your computer. You can install it on your Android phone, um, and everything gets routed through Tor, so your ISP can't see where you're browsing, see all your browsing history. And VPNs do like an encrypted tunnel to a trusted server, and you are trusting that server. Instead, that server can spy on you. Uh, but it's a it's a little bit of a different threat model there because. Uh, in most places in the world, especially America, you only have the choice between like one or two internet providers. But with VPNs, you have the choice of many. Uh, and you could pick from them globally. And the good ones allow you to pay with Bitcoin without giving them personal information besides obviously your IP address when you connect. So all these little things we can do, all these little tools, running graphene, running Linux, uh, using VPNs, you know, using using a open source browser instead of using Chrome, uh, ditching your iPhones, like all these little things we can do increase the cost and the difficulty to pull off these type of surveillance. And I, it's imperative that people fight back in this method. This is, this is the easiest way, the most effective way that we can enact change. Uh, petitioning your politicians isn't going to help, unfortunately. No, it is not. No, it is not. A lot of the ones that are claiming to, to fight for civil liberties and and the common man and the little man don't even show up to vote, uh, which is pretty sickening well, to see. It's pretty. Yeah. So this was a pretty fun. So this amendment was actually a privacy preserving amendment to strike this part from the renewal, uh, and it lost by one vote, and and four four senators weren't there, and one of them was Bernie. That's like a yeah. note. Very notable. Noted. Hashtag noted. Um, we're not going to change the system from within, I don't think. Though I have a episode coming out tomorrow with Brian Harrington where he makes the case where you may be able to change some things at the local level, starting at your county, township level, and moving up to the city level. Yeah. Maybe that's where we enact the most change. Local's different, um, which is one of the reasons why I'm so for localization of as much things as possible, right? I mean, local... Agreed. It's hard to buy someone off when you see them face to face and they live they live near you. 
You know, yeah. it's 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 but, a much it's a much more tangible connection. It's harder to corrupt. There's less money to be made being corrupt as well. Agreed. And but in contrary to that in DC, it's much easier to be corrupt. You're thousands of miles away from the people that your laws are affecting and you don't have to look them in the face and I mean just I mean the Patriot Act is being renewed in 2020 and again it was an act that started to get metadata from terrorist cell phones and has morphed into this thing where William Barr is going to be able to look at your Pornhub history. I'll tell you. Uh, if he so pleases. Well, not if you use Pornhub's VPN. They have a VPN. Uh, <laughs> you shouldn't be watching porn. but I know, but it, I look, as far as porn companies go, Pornhub is a stand-up fucking company. You know, if they, when, when there's snowstorms, when there's snowstorms in, in the Northeast, they plow the streets of Boston as an advertisement, but they actually they were actually plowing streets over there uh, they released tons of open data, which is really interesting to analyze. Like if a Super Bowl team loses, like how much their porn watching of, the, of that demographic goes up. Uh, they have a VPN service and they're educating users why VPNs are important uh, in a tangible way that users can understand that they don't want their porn history to be shared with everybody. Uh, and they provided free Pornhub premium for people affected by coronavirus. So as as far as yeah, as far as porn companies go, they're they're pretty stand up. They still let abuse on their platform, which is pretty bad. But anyway, before we wrap this up, I just want to say wait wait, wait. No, no, We're before not we wrap up, up the surveillance thing, I want to say that it's not a fucking coincidence that our our government seems dysfunctional, but they get sweeping bipartisan support whenever it comes time to fucking erode our civil liberties it's 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 not it's not a coincidence at all at coincidence at all and people need to fucking be aware of that they need to be you know vigilant these people do not give a fuck about you they want to control you they don't give a fuck about you they hate you you are in their way of getting what they want and they do not care about you they will get on screen they will smile fuck you in the face and then they'll go off screen and fuck you with these laws. They do not give a fuck about you. And if you think they do, and you think you can change the system at the federal level via voting, I got, I, I got an answer you're not going to hear. It's not going to fucking work. Turn to Bitcoin. Turn to open source software. Run your own fucking node. That's why Bitcoiners are leading the way. Like the nodes I'm running right now come with Tor and VPNs out of the box. The tools are being built. You can take advantage of them. It's a little hard at the moment, maybe hard to run some nodes for some people, but it's getting easier by the day. And if you want to turn around and give these smile fuckers the middle finger and tell them to fuck off, like Matt said, run this software, use these tools and take some sovereignty back into your possession. Build support, run tools that empower individuals, take back personal responsibility. And they're not only targeting us, they're targeting countries like Venezuela and Iran with sanctions that don't allow them to move money between borders, across borders, especially uh, via the SWIFT banking system. So uh, to get around that, Venezuela and Iran are dealing in gold. Uh, So Venezuela paid Iran with $500 million worth of gold bars, which required nine jets jets. uh, to get get sent to Rida. Um, And this was for... uh, refinery help i think uh, adjuminajaj whatever his name was i definitely just butchered that when he and chavez were 
um, still in office, uh, he helped them fix some refineries, some oil refineries. Yeah, so and finally paying that off. Venezuela has something that's called a brain drain, where all the productive, most of the productive, uh, educated class left Venezuela if they could. So they don't have the sophistication to repair all their aging infrastructure. So they have to call on Iran to come and and support them in that regard. And because they don't have access to the financial system, they have to pay them this way with gold. And I just want to say, like, people think Bitcoin transaction fees are high. Like, imagine having to send nine jets to go pick up to go pick up your money. Like, that's super expensive. Imagine one of those jets goes down. All the fuel, all the security that goes along with that, polluting the environment. It's all fucked up. Talk about no, security. They, I mean, they can't again. stop. If the U.S. government wanted to, you know, stop one of those jets, they could. They could shoot it down. They could shoot it down. They could ask it to, to land in a place where they could then confiscate the gold. Uh, Bitcoin. Maduro could have been in his fucking boxers at his computer, just like with his treasure and, and Senate. Um, Wasn't there like a year the ago? Of his own house. Like a year ago, didn't like a Russian plane full of gold go down or like the gold fell out of the hold or something like that? Yeah, yeah. And it was like raining down. It was like raining gold bars. Yeah. It's dangerous, see? We, uh, we come back to what we talked about last week. Bitcoin saves lives. It does save lives. The physicality of gold falling from <laughs> the sky, it could kill. It's very dangerous. Could you imagine being hit with a gold bar in the head that fell from 30,000 feet um, high? No, you can't because you'd be dead immediately. You'd die You're rich, You're never going to have Bitcoin fall on you. <laughs> You die, yeah, the um, the coins on your eyes get sort of embedded in your skull. Uh, when what was that? The uh, the river of Thames, or what's the uh, river of Thames? Is that the river to the afterlife in Egyptian lore, where you have to put the coins on your eyes? Uh, whatever. The Thames. But you get a whole the gold Thames bar. Is in, isn't that London? Yeah, it's in London. Um, I'm gonna look this up. Afterlife. I mean, river. Egypt. Um, what's it called? I forget. Whatever. The duat, the river to the duat. Is it really um, duat? Like the music? Du, duat, uh, D-U-A-T. Um, duet. Yeah, duet. Let's duet together. Um. Before we get into the Thunder Spy USB, Thunder let's just get into it. Thunder Spy USB C vulnerability. So, um, the uh, a uh, hack or a white hat hacker, I guess, revo- uh, so revealed a seven vulnerabilities, or maybe nine. Was it it's seven? seven. Or nine? So, so new computers have USB C ports that are used for if they're Thunderbolt. Enabled, they're used for data, power, and video. Everything. Basically, they can be used for all the things. Um, And these vulnerabilities together allow someone to use that port. Um, Most, Some of the vulnerabilities require opening up the case, but in any case, it requires physical access, leveraging that port and the spec to basically pull data off of your computer, even if it's in a locked state. Um, and it affects pretty much every single machine that has Thunderbolt, so pretty much all recent machines. Um, 
if your if your device is encrypted and off, it I, it does not uh, you know the they need to break the encryption key as well. And I believe, you know, the Apple has gotten shit for it because they have this new secure chip called the T2 secure chip, um, which is like a similar model, you know, that like a, the Ledger uses, where you have this closed source secure element in there um, handling the encryption. Uh, and that also means you can't run like Linux and other open software on it and repurpose these computers. But from a security point of view, it appears that they're only vulnerable to two of the seven vulnerabilities because of that T2 chip. Um, so I guess that that's one solace for at least for Mac users. Uh, but, but yeah, they, they released a checker so you can check your system, but you know, most of these systems are compromised. It's, it's worth noting, as I said before, you should have your disks encrypted. Um, you know, all the, all the operating systems have it built in. Linux has it built in. Uh, and, and when you're not around your computer, you should turn it off. These computers turn on really quick nowadays. Your boot time should be pretty quick. So you're going through airport security. You're going through places where someone might have physical access to your device. You're going to want it to be in an off state and encrypted. This, is, this was already standard operating procedure for people that were in the know. I mean, if people are aware, when they caught, um, when they caught DPR uh, with Silk Road, they intentionally made sure that his computer was still on. They, they got him in a situation where his computer was still on because the, the disks weren't encrypted. Uh, and and if, 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 as we've also said on this podcast, like if someone has physical access to your device, even if it is encrypted, you should assume they can compromise it. Operate under that assumption. Yes. Um, shout out to Bjorn Reutensberg, who who found these vulnerabilities and uh, Intel being a little shady. He he let them know Always. about most of these vulnerabilities in March and early April, and they weren't corresponding with him. And he had to reach out to Apple to let them know. I think he told Intel on February tenth, something like that. That's um, fucked up. But Intel. Apparently, Intel didn't tell everybody they were supposed to tell. Um, so trying to hold face or save face there and actually makes them look worse in the long run. So uh, Our hardware situation, especially mainstream hardware, is not a good situation. We need more open hardware. Um, hopefully, we see it. We, 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 you know, there's a lot of teams that are working on more open hardware, so hopefully we, we'll see some big, big improvements in that space soon. Agreed. Um, last one I wanted to touch on um, before we go here. Is it the last one? I'm pretty sure it is. Well, I want to also talk uh, about price I, a little bit. Price? Yeah. But let's do your last one Ooh. first. What do you got for us? That's just what I wrote about today. Update on collateralized loan obligations. This is something in December I pointed out in the bent. Um that there was a large wave of corporate debt that's going to be maturing over the next three to four years. And that puts the Fed in a very precarious situation because it's very similar to the mortgage-backed security um, situation where you had these 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 packaged-up loans that were slapped with uh, ratings by credit agencies that were far superior than the actual uh, state of the the loans and the package of those loans. So you're, you're dressing up a pig with lipstick. It's happening again. And again, I called this out in December before all these lockdowns 
uh, came into effect before the oil market hit the shitter and stuff is starting to hit the fan in the, in the CLO market. And so Moody's downgraded 20% of the underlying loans in the CLOs at the end of April and put 44 billion additional on watch for further downgrade. Um, so we're going to get to a point where we may have a $1.4 trillion illiquid collateralized loan obligation shitcoin market. And it's very similar to what happened and led to the 2008 collapse. And this is um, arguably uh, more severe, especially considering the fact that a lot of the industries that will be affected by this, mainly uh, airline, hospitality, restaurant, and oil and gas are all struggling severely right now. And so if you think the Fed is printing a lot of money already throughout this crisis, like just wait, it's going to get insane if these these dominoes start falling and um i bet we'll see the full repercussions of this market um going through this this stress in the next couple of months hopefully it's contained hopefully it can be contained but again like i said in the bent today like it just seems like a situation where you're the fed and the treasury in unison are going to try to have to play whack-a-mole with all these defaults that are going to be happening as many of these companies are not able to produce revenue to pay back these loans, you're just going to have cascading defaults through this sector and then the banking sector that uh, holds the debt that these these loans um, that holds debt the underlying debt in these CLOs. And so I think people think things are bad right now already with the lockdowns and the state of the economy. This might honestly be the calm before the storm. We're just getting started. We, we may have not seen anything yet. Yeah. in terms of economic impact of these shutdowns. And the government governments are going to try and prop it up first, and then they'll fail, and then it'll be even worse. Well, they already are now. Like with these with these small business loans and bigger loan facilities, the Fed's trying to take... Like the Fed started buying up corporate debt last month um, in, in an attempt to, to prop these up. But again, that's a reaction to the lockdowns and again in December I was writing like they they were already distressed in December before the lockdowns were even uh, an idea in anybody's head and so it's just hard to uh, hard to see how there isn't a massive correction in that market alone um, considering it was already distressed before the lockdowns and the lockdowns only poured massive massive amounts of fuel on that fire this is the divide that we've been talking about on the podcast where these policy makers and implementers are operating under the perspective that they that we had like the best market in the world, the best economy in the world that we've ever seen before before this crisis happened. When in fact we had a massive house of cards that was just waiting to implode to begin with, um, and then this is just exacerbating it all. So when you operate from that that different perspective, like you make all the wrong decisions and that's what we see happening right now. Um, I just dropped, yeah. I just dropped in the chat. Did you see this? The U S Senator trading sentiment versus the S and P 500. So this guy is tracking net buys and sells from U S senators. Um, and like there's two they things. Dumped. Yeah. There's two things. First of all, you can clearly see, uh, the patterns of what would be insider trading where they know all this information ahead of time since they are in charge of approvals and stuff um, where, where they sell before a dump and they buy before a pump. But 
they sold the most they've ever sold as a group, U.S. Senators, uh, in the last three years, they just sold the most they've ever sold. So it, it appears three. that, you know, their wallets speak louder than their words when they say that, you know, we're already, you know, we're already basically through the worst of it. Uh, then why are they, why are they dumping right now? Yeah. And that's like three weeks ago in aggregate. Holy shit. So this is an index. That's pretty crazy, right? That guy's got yeah, a whole like dashboard a that like lists their buys and sells too. He's doing he's doing good work over there. Yeah, it's fucked, man. We'll put that and in the show notes too. It's yeah, it's a fucking fucked up situation. And so chairman, what do we have? Two point three million drop out of the labor force yesterday, officially, in the last weekly numbers. So what are we at total um, now? How many Boston's? Un- filed for unemployment. I think I think we're approaching thirty million. I thought we were already over it. 30 million. We might be at like 35 now. It's hard to keep track. Um, but Chairman Powell came out yesterday and said he believes that 40% of Americans making $40,000 a year or less are currently unemployed, which is staggering. Uh, staggering. And like those people are struggling like 40 grand a year is nothing, especially in this economy, the way inflation is and how expensive housing is. And, just to 40% of those people don't have jobs anymore. To all the freaks out there that are unemployed, we love you. You're going to get through this. Fucking sucks. Yeah, you are. Yeah. It's fucked, man. Uh, yeah, I, f- I feel fortunate that uh, I'm employed right now. It's, it's, it's crazy, man. I feel it's, fortunate that we have Bitcoin. Grateful every day. I do too. Grateful every day. Seriously, man. And again, this week was a great reminder of the fact that Bitcoin just works. You get to block 630,000, the subsidy just gets cut in half, and they mine 600, block 630,000 and one. Uh, as we were celebrating, as many Bitcoiners around the world were celebrating, Bitcoin was just chugging along. It just works, and it's incredible that we have, I mean, it's not incredible that we have this, uh, this economic situation that we find ourselves in going on, but the what is incredible is the juxtaposition of everything the treasury and the fed are doing and our politicians are doing uh, opposed to what Bitcoin is doing. Bitcoin is just going by the letter of the code, the, what it's told to do via the protocol. And it's, it just works. Nobody can change it. And that you have, you have everybody uh, running the traditional system, scrambling and, and creating worse inequality and making terrible decisions on the go. Um, that reminds me, the- um, you had Jeff Booth on the podcast this week. It was a great episode. Uh, there was talk about how, uh, there's, there's this idea that like Bitcoiners, uh, fantasize over like end of world scenarios and how messy that really is. And no one should be hoping for that. And I just want to make clear here that the reason I think Bitcoin is such a good investment is because I think Bitcoin does well in both good times and bad times. Um, so no one is is wishing for bad times. I, I, we don't need bad times for Bitcoin to succeed. I think it's going to succeed regardless. Um, but if bad times do happen, we're going to be really fucking lucky that we have Bitcoin. Like uh, tremendously lucky to have that that way out, that escape hatch, that lifeboat. Uh, that is completely disconnected from this 
bullshit complex system that has been built up over the years. I agree, man, but I think it may be succeeding because of bad things. And I don't, again, I don't want them to happen, but looking at the state of the markets and the world, it's hard to imagine that things don't hit the fan here. Yeah, but I'm I mean, saying you're, you're, let's let's live in theory. The, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Magic land, right? Theoretical magic land where everything gets a V shape and everything goes swimmingly and it's like the best thing ever and we're all living in a utopia. Like Bitcoin's still Bitcoin's still successful in that situation. I agree, but I don't think that's what's gonna no, happen. No, definitely uh, not. No. Scary man, it's scary. There's a lot of people struggling out there. If you are, if you're listening to this and you're struggling again, I feel for you. It's hang in there, and I don't know. I'm, I can't, I can't do anything to help your situation behind this mic. Like, there's no, it is. Uh, it just sucks, man. Like we fucked it up. We fucked the money up pretty bad. Fix the money, fix the world. We need to focus on these problems and actually focus on actual solutions to these problems and not depend on asshole politicians who do not give a fuck about you to solve this. They're not going to solve it. The academic economists sitting in the Fed and the Fed boards around the country, they're not going to solve this. They have created this problem. If you think they're going to fix it, you are delusional. These are the architects of the problems of our day. They are not going to fix this. MMT is not the way out either. Should should we finish on on a positive note? Uh, Bitcoin has been pumping lately. Uh, that's very that's very positive. Um, number go up, right? It's good to see. Number go up. Number fell about a hundred dollars while we we're recording. Um, yeah, no number go, go up's good. And I forget who tweeted it today, but yeah, like Paul Tudor Jones, he's not buying tops. I don't think. What's so funny? Um, what's so yeah? I saw that. What's so funny to me is all these guys. You know, like Bitcoin gets correlated to the S and P for like a couple of weeks and they're like, Oh my God, Bitcoin's a correlated asset. And then now like two, for two days, well today the S and P did a little bit is, is in the positive a little bit, but Bitcoin outperformed it. But the last two days S and P dumped and Bitcoin went up. Um, yesterday was very stark. It was like the S and P was down 3% and Bitcoin was up 3%. And those same guys are like, Bitcoin's uncorrelated now, like blah, blah, blah. Like, Fucking lower your time preference. Like all of this is noise. Like just focus on the signal. The signal is, is that Bitcoin is the most separate asset of any asset we have. Like at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's the most uncorrelated out of all the ones we have because it's a completely distinct network that's not tangled up in the mess and the rest of the mess. It is bereft of the politics and the central authority of the system we're used to. Yeah, price is pumping. Hope you're stacking sats out there. Help your family find safety in sats too. I think they're going to need it soon. Oh, I have, um, I have one more thing I wanted to talk about. I just I got to go. I got to call in 10 minutes. Okay, we'll talk about it next week. A lot more people got wrecked on March 12th than I thought they did. So just stay humble, yeah, stack yeah. sats out there, guys. Like, don't, yeah. don't get too greedy. Yeah. Um, It's the best way to do it. Peace and love, freaks.